0: So as I, uh, as I walked up on stage first hour, Don Self goes, Chris, how are you going to follow that? And I said, I won't, watch, it'll be terrible. Um, wow, that is just the, the, the message of that song, the, the way that it's done is just communicates such power and um, uh, teaching to some men this week um, from 2 uh, from Timothy, the idea that there will come a day when people will confess godliness, but deny its power. And um, they'll have a type of spirituality, but there'll be no power in it. And just the reminder that whatever it is, he is stronger. Um, and, and I think, hey, John, was every song after the first one, were they direct, were they you songs? Like, so again, you, if, uh, if you watch carefully, John's leading you. Um, and you'll you will you 'll recognize where he 's leading you, even if you don 't recognize that he 's leading you there, and, and he and his team do that very intentionally very on purpose and' uh, um, it 's a, a rare gift for a worship leader to have the power of leading um, as well as worshiping and so um, uh, just just being struck by the fact that you were you were led to worship God with the truth about who he is today um, so make sure you uh, make sure you notice what you 're singing because <laughs> it 's a uh, uh, there's power in it. So this, is, um, this has been a great week for worship. Um, last week um, on Sunday morning, we had the Devoted Sunday. I, I hope you're here for that. Uh, I was, it was super encouraging and challenging to me and uh, to my Christian life to be able to just experience the power of the resurrection through baptism and the Christian life through communion um, and the way that we lead and engage with one another through discipleship at the parent dedication um, and then this morning we got more, uh, we got to baptize again this morning. I'm sure as John, as Paul mentioned at the meet and greet time, it's, um, it's such a great thing. And then, um, this on the Friday night, having uh, Shane Bernard and Shane Everett come in and lead worship. Um, what a, what a great time. I'm glad for those of you who could be there. We had like 500 and something people here. Uh, hopefully we'll have them back. They just fit well with us. Um, just, it just, I know them well enough. They don't know me. You know how that works. Like they don't know me at all. I know them great, though. Um, uh, having interacted with them two or three times, and just, just they don't, like I said the thing, they don't take themselves very seriously, but they take Jesus very seriously. And that's actually kind of one of our little mottos here. Is, um, um, so we, that, was a, that was just a great time to interact with them and, and their heart um, for us and for um, their families. It, just, it was just clear. It was a, just a good partnership there. And uh, so we'll probably have them back um, that was a lot of fun. And then, and then even, hopefully you've noticed in the, in the community events thing, if you've never noticed this, about once a month we put activities in our bulletin that are going on at other churches and other ministries um, that we do a little research. Um, Elizabeth calls around and checks with different people to find out what they're doing that, are, that you guys might want to be a part of. And, uh, and so make sure and check those out and look at them because your Christian walk isn't restricted here. Um, to this building or these ministries here. We hope you're involved and engaged in other places. And there's some churches that do things a whole lot better than we do. And if that's your calling and passion, then maybe you need to be there. Um, we, we, um, we are, we're proud to have you here, but this is a, uh, this is a, this is a community that is so blessed. Um, and so uh, just to make sure you know about those things. And there may be others, and if you know about them, let us know. If there's other ministry things or community events that are going on, let us know about them. But we try to do that about once a month. Um, and then we have... Um, on Wednesday nights, we're doing a past series on parenting. Um, literally, I'm just getting up and sharing my thoughts on parenting and what all the years of counseling and stuff, and with other counselors stealing their ideas and, and good books and stealing their ideas and, and uh, what, what we've done. And, and uh, so, we've got one more of those. And I'll tell you what, for those of you who've been working, who've been working for a long time on Wednesday nights, you may remember the day when we we, started, we served over 200 meals in one night. Um, for the first time a few years ago on, on a Wednesday night because we do dinner and then we do the, the teaching time. And this, this, this Wednesday night, we had 174 adults just in here, so probably four to 500 people on the campus. Um, that's just that's huge and a huge blessing. So for those of you who serve, that's, we love it. That's just fun. Um, so I hope, I hope you are engaged beyond just Sunday morning, not here necessarily, but somewhere in your Christian walk every day that is engaging us. And we'll, we'll see that played out here in just a few minutes as we're looking in the book of John. So this is, um, if I remember correctly, this is about our fourth week on the book of John. And, uh, and we're at, still in chapter 1. We're all the way to verse 30, though. So at this rate, when I said, hey, we could be in John for a year, think two-ish years. <laughs> um, maybe a little more than that. Uh, that's, uh, I hope you don't mind that. I, I am loving it. Um, I'm, I'm learning and growing. It seems richer and deeper than the last time I taught through the book of John, which I guess just happens in your Christian walk. Um, that's was I guess was supposed to happen to us. So last week or two weeks ago, our focus was um, uh, John. Just All we did was verse 29. John the Baptist pointing for his, with his disciples and pointing and saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that, that our lives should live that out, our, our words should indicate that, that every sermon, every teaching, everything that's done here at the base level is that. If it, if it fails to somehow communicate or accomplish that, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, then we've missed something. Um, and so, even as we're doing a leadership board vote today to, to say, um, we focused for years, uh, last few years, on um, Proverbs 3. Um, five and six for that, that as you're thinking about who we're going to select to lead over the next couple of years, that we would say, um, we want those who, who trust in the Lord with all their heart and don't lean on their own understanding, um, but in all their ways acknowledge him and so that he will make our path straight. And that's what we want is people who, who trust in the Lord's understanding over our own understanding. That's our goal um, as leaders in the church. And uh, we're terrible at it, all of us are, but that's our goal. That's, our, that's what we, our effort, our, our prayer is that, that would be the case. What struck me is as you're, as you're later, if you remember the church, as you're circling some names on that little ballot, I want you to ask yourself, and especially when we nominate, I think probably that's true of all of our nominees this year, but as we nominate them to think, is this someone whose life and word and action yells, screams, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Um, that's what we want to have in our lives. So as we, as we continue in John chapter 1. Um, this is still John the Baptist speaking, so again, try not to be confused. When you see the name John in the book of John, it's not John. It's John the Baptist um, who's, who is being talked about. When, when a disciple goes unnamed um, or has a nickname like the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's going to be the Apostle John, the author of the book. Okay, so in John 1, we're in verse 30. This is he of whom I said. So this, he's still talking. He's still, we've had two weeks. This happened like this. This is a conversation for them. Um, this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so he says that, then he gathers up his disciples right there. They're all out right there with him. John has disciples too, by the way. That's not, it's not weird. Any teacher, any, any professor, anybody who has a, a, a following like that, the people who they disciple are their disciples. And so... This is him who has said, after me comes one who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed in Israel. So quick break as we look at this. After me comes one who ranks before me, because he was before me. So he was both before me and after me. Um, This is a strange little, little riddle here that John the Baptist is throwing out there that his followers apparently either understand, maybe he's even taught through this. Um, it's hard to know how far to carry this, but this is John. John is a theological book, and so it's okay to take things to that deeper theological level when you're studying the book of John. I think John is making a proclamation here about who Jesus is and was. Notice, after me, and so John the Baptist has been around, he's been teaching, he's been baptizing, he's now been had these students, and he's saying, I told you, I've been telling you this all along. After me is coming someone else. So you met me first. Someone else is coming later. And this person is before me. Some of your Bibles even say, after me comes someone who is before me because he was before me. Um, After me comes a man who ranks before me, who is before me, who's higher than me. And not only does he rank higher than me, not only is he more important than I am, but he was before me. Now, again... How far does do you think John the Baptist has studied this? I don't know. I don't know his philosophical training, but the idea of a necessary being was in existence already by this point. So, so the idea is there are in order to have something, you have to have something. Okay, you can't you can't get something from nothing. This is a basic rule. Um, if you don't know this one, or if you're in denial of this one, um, the idea that you could have truly nothing. I mean, I mean, nothing. And then from that nothing, you would get something. What, is it, what do you have to add to nothing to get something? Like time? I like just a lot more time, and then you'll have something. Although time is something. Um, even the language here gets silly very quickly when you start talking about this. If you have nothing, then that means you've got nothing. And after, after a long period of time, you would have nothing. And, and, and what, if you have nothing, then, then what do you get from Nothing. Nothing. That's how this works. That's what nothing is. And so the idea that you would truly have nothing, and then you would have something in a timetable is absurd. It's it's ridiculous to teach that. Um, one of the one of the kind of jokes about some of the modern day atheism movement that they're really struggling with is the word nothing. They are they are really truly having a hard time with this word. People who are otherwise very intelligent people seem to really struggle with the word nothing. Um, listen to them talk about it online sometime. Listen to the atheists talk about some of the, especially the modern atheists, talk about why there's something rather than nothing. And their answer is, well, when there was nothing and all you had was these free-floating like, no, see, that's not nothing. But when you have these quantum like, no, see, that's, again, that's something. Why is there something rather than nothing? You can't say, well, at first there was something and it, and it you don't have nothing and then it explodes. That's not how the universe came into existence. That's irrational. Um, for the handful of you in the room, there's going to be a handful of you who are going to really like this. Okay, let me tell you why. Then I'm going to give you a little more simple explanation, but for a handful of you, you're going to love this. Um, you cannot have an eternity past that goes through time. So the same, way, the same reason you can't count... So, so somebody, somebody tell me the last number. Starting at zero, when do you end? Well, you don't. So if I start at zero and I count backwards, how long does it take me to get down there? Forever. It's also infinite, right? So here you go. Ready for the handful of you? You're going to love this. So across according a period of time, when you have a measured period of time, the question is, how long would it take you to jump out of a bottomless hole? This is not possible. Therefore, if it's a bottomless hole, we could never get here. You have to have a time when time begins. The argument's called the cosmological argument. Cause leads to effect. Leads to cause, leads to effect. Leads to cause, leads to effect. This is the life you've all lived. If not, you need to talk with me later. If your Cause and effect is the, of, is the nature of human experience. If you live in time as we do, cause leads to effect. Those effects become new causes, et cetera, et cetera. Cause, effect, cause, effect, cause, effect, cause, effect. That's what you've experienced your whole life. But the philosophical argument asks the question, what happens if I turn around and I walk the path the other direction? Effect, which had a cause, which had a cause, which had a cause, which had a cause. You can't go forever. You can't jump out of a bottomless hole. Eventually, there has to be a first one. An uncaused cause. A cause that was never an effect. It's only ever been a cause. This would be a necessary being. It exists because it's necessary for it to exist. It exists because it exists. In order for the concept of God to exist, God must exist. You have to have something to have the concept. This is, for some of you, this is really cool. Some of you are like, and moving on. Please move on. This is, this is part of what John, though, is teaching us. He was before me. John the Baptist was born before Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ was still before him. Why? Because Jesus, crosses, Jesus Christ is God, and God is necessary being. It is not possible for God not to exist and be God. So there is a, there is a God, and that God is necessary to exist. This was one of my favorites. One of, the, one of the philosophers of the past who does not like the fact that there is a God said this. Um, the fact that God exists is an ultimate brute fact. You Whether you know it, like it, or believe it, God exists, and it is irrelevant your thoughts on the matter. It is a brute fact forced upon you. You can live in denial of it if you want to, but it won't change the truth of it. He is a necessary being. You see all kinds of efforts to, to, to um, squirm out of this teaching of this understanding um, among people for whom it is very important that there not be a God. Um, we had one on stage here a few months ago to have a conversation with him. Happy to do that any time. This this the idea that there is no God requires you to really squirm out of this, and you end up with all kinds of odd understandings. You have aliens and cosmic concepts and eternal pasts and other things that are pretty much nonsensical. Um, I'll be interested to see any any wrinkle in time fans. I know I know Madeline Lingle turned out to be kind of an odd duck at some point, um, as I understand it. Um, but her original book was rather Christological and actually very theological. Um, quoting the Psalms on a regular basis. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw out a guess here that most of that gets cut for the movie. I'm just, we'll see. Now, how about this phrase? I myself did not know him. Does that weird anybody out? John the Baptist saying of Jesus Christ, I myself did not know him. Remember, this is his cousin. They probably saw each other periodically throughout their lifetimes. John the Baptist jumped in his mother's womb when he met Jesus for the first time in his mother's womb. I mean, that's, I myself did not know him. It's hard to know for sure, but probably it's, it's possible, as some commentaries say, that, that John just hadn't seen Jesus in a long time. It had been 10, 15, 20 years since they had hung out. And that's certainly possible. John had been living out in the desert in the wilderness for a while, um, eating locusts and honey, dressed like the prophet Elijah. Um, I mean, doing that long enough, maybe that does something to you. But, but, or, or he just hadn't seen him, and so Jesus had grown up a lot. He hadn't seen him in 15 years, and he's grown up a lot and didn't recognize him. That being said, I don't think that fits as well with, this, with the narrative here, which is that John the Baptist didn't get Jesus. He didn't fully understand who he was dealing with. Had he been raised to think of Jesus as the Messiah? He may have, but, but he didn't understand that Jesus wasn't just a Messiah. Remember we talked through the judges and we talked through Ruth and Boaz. These are all Messiah characters. There's so many Messiah characters. And it may just be that John the Baptist thought his cousin was going to be another Boaz, another Messiah character, another Maccabee, or, a, or another person from history that would be a significant person. Maybe he didn't get this, and I think that's most likely. So, because we're about to find out there's a, there's a little test that happens. Verse 32, John bore witness... I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So at some point in John's calling, John the Baptist's calling, God or an angel or someone had told John the Baptist, Now listen, I'm sending you out here to baptize people, to prepare them. You are like the Elijah of the Old Testament. You're preparing people for this big deal that I'm doing. And here's what you've got to be watching for. One of these people who's going to come and be baptized, the Holy Spirit's going to descend on him like a dove. And it's going to stay there. In fact, the Greek word here is abide. Abide is one of the themes of the book of John we will come back to abide regularly. This is one of the first times we see this idea. It's going to abide. It's going to be on him. It's going to stay with him and live with him and become part of who he is. The Holy Spirit's going to abide with him in a different way. And I think then you'll know, though you only baptize with water, this guy's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. This is different. You don't baptize with the Holy Spirit unless you're God. Only God gives God's Spirit. Only God can give the Spirit of God. And John the Baptist had to be going, Hey, I'm about to meet someone who is God. God on earth. Who has the power of God on earth. Who could that possibly be? There'd be no reason for him to go like, Oh, it's probably Cousin Jesus. I mean, he's a Messiah, but he's not going to think like, Oh, I'm sure that he's God walking on earth. So when Jesus shows up and, and this happens... He didn't know. He's like, I I think this is essentially John the Baptist said, I didn't know what I was getting into. I didn't understand who I was dealing with. This is a good indication, by the way, that some of the old apocryphal stories of Jesus walking around, killing his friends and raising them back from the dead when he was four and five years old, probably not accurate. No one seemed to see this coming. This was was a different thing that that surprised all of them, even Mary, it seems. But he was going to reveal this person. Here's Here's what Mark tells us. Mark in chapter one, verse nine says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John into Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately, you remember Mark? Immediately. Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. Here we have the actual account. John doesn't have the actual account. Probably because John knew that the reader had Mark's account and Matthew's account and Luke's account. Remember, John's gospel is written last. He actually quotes, cites Matthew, Mark, and Luke at different times. Mark was probably the first gospel written. It's probably Peter's gospel. Uh, Mark was the one who wrote it down, but Peter was probably the eyewitness for it. Then you have Matthew and Luke, Matthew who was an eyewitness, Luke who was a researcher, and now John who was an eyewitness who was probably the youngest of the disciples, and here he is later in life writing it down, and he's got a copy of Matthew, a copy of Luke, and a copy of Mark in front of him while he's writing it. And so he probably doesn't feel the need to tell the whole story of the baptism of Jesus Christ. That's right there in Mark and Matthew and Luke. You can read it there. So instead he's He's giving us the theological background, some of the the translation or, or maybe the commentary as well on what's going on here. So, John says, Here's this, let me tell you what it means that it happened. Whereas Mark just tells you what did happen, but look at this. So, he saw the heavens torn open, the Spirit descending on him like a dove and abiding there, staying there. And a voice comes from heaven You are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So, just since we're in the midst of a parenting, um, seminar on Wednesday nights. Let me just stop right here and make a little comment. I, we talked about consequences last week. One type, one aspect of disciplining your children, of raising your children up in the way that they should go, is is the discipline of consequences, of punishment and reward. Those are just those are the two types of consequences. Good ones, reward. Bad ones, punishment. But a lot of parents, that's the only one they know. Let me tell you another one. We're going to look at blessings this this Wednesday night. We're going to look at blessings and safety um, as two of the examples. And others. There's others we're going to look at, but those two for sure. So here you have God the Father perfectly exemplifying the parental discipline of blessing. What has Jesus accomplished at this point in his ministry? Nothing. Nothing. He has not turned anything into anything else. He's not been beaten or whipped. As far as we know, he's not even taught. And here you have God the Father before Jesus starts. He's not even faced Satan for temptation yet. And you have God the Father starting Jesus on his ministry by saying, First things first, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It has nothing to do with Jesus' performance. Why is he so pleased? Why is God the Father pleased? Because it's his son. He doesn't need another reason. Is it great to be proud of our sons when they kick a field goal? Absolutely. When they make A's? Sure. Is it great to be proud of our daughters when they play a piano recital or when they do whatever? Absolutely, that's great. But it's more important that they know that you are proud of them because they are yours. And my children hear regularly from me. You're my son or you're my daughter. I'm proud of you. I love you. That's vital. That's vital. As parents, so many men never got that. Um, I, can, I can get men, a group full of men, a room full of men to laugh easily, but in order to get uh, men to really deal with other emotions, this is one of those passages you talk about, the power of a dad speaking over his children, or even just another man speaking over another man. I am proud of you. Um, we never get tired of that. We never get That never gets old to us. Um, a couple of years ago when we went to... Um, uh, Wyoming to Jackson Hole where my dad worked every summer. One of the guys he worked with is a survivalist expert. I mean, this guy is a scary dude. Uh, you wouldn't know it, but he's a scary dude. We used to say um, at the survival school, among a group of survival school teachers, he was extra scary dude. And he would, we used to say, man, you could send Dave out in the woods, start naked in the middle of winter in Wyoming. And in a month, he'd invite you to dinner at his, at his log cabin. So, uh, the man is impressive He's had almost every job in Jackson Hole. I recently was sheriff, if I remember correctly, was what he was and we were there. And uh, and he sat down at one point. We had most of our family there and he hadn't seen me in 10 years, 15 years. He, and he just, this is just Dave. He, I don't even know that Dave's a believer. I pray he is, but that, that Dave just said, um, wow, I just want you to know, Chris, I'm super proud of you. I'm proud of the man you've become. I'm proud of the way you're leading that church. I'm just proud of you. I mean, 43 years old at the time. I'm like, well, thanks, Dave, and you only need to do something about the dust here in Jackson Hole. Could you? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. We don't get tired of that. Speak identity. Speak that blessing. John the Baptist is convinced because of these two miracles, the Holy Spirit and the voice. He's convinced of who he is, and so John the Baptist has his testimony, has his witness. Go back and listen a few weeks ago. Paul McKenzie talked through this idea of having a testimony, of being a witness, and here it is, verse 34. I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist is going to die for this before long, by the way. This is what we've got to be prepared for, to stand in a courtroom, to stand in trial, to stand at the end of a gun or whatever and say, I proclaim that this is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is. One commentary notes that in many ways, this line, John the Baptist's proclamation right here, is the true hour of birth for Christendom. Not the birth of the kingdom of heaven, that starts with Jesus. Not the birth of of God's plan, that started before the creation of time. But the beginning of Christianity as a faith begins with John the Baptist making this proclamation probably. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus As they walked by, this is just the next day, and he says it again. Behold the Lamb of God. He did this the day before. He's doing it again for his disciples. This time they catch the hint, and they go follow Jesus. They decide to follow Jesus. Now, this is kind of an interesting um, language. Think of this. This is one commentary. says, this is the first two drops in the headwaters of the mighty river that is the Christian faith. This is drop one and drop two. Nowadays, one in every three people in the world claims to follow Christ. Obviously, we're probably pretty dubious of that, but they claim that. They name the name of Jesus at least. How, does, how do you go from two people to billions? So they, they decide to follow him. He did not call them directly. In this case, John the Baptist sent them. Later, Jesus would call them specifically. Because he's going to have a lot of people following him, and eventually he's going to call 12 in particular. But at this stage, these are just people following John the Baptist. They're his students who John the Baptist has now sent them to go follow Jesus. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Verse 38 Jesus turned and saw them following them and said, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? This is a great scene. They don't just accept him, they're going to follow him, they're going to check him out, see where he lives. See what his friendships are like. See what's going on in his life. Is he going to do anything he shouldn't do? They're kind of stalking him here. Follow here doesn't mean that they start following him as students. They literally means following, like tracking him. So they're following Jesus as he walks. Now, this is is a cool moment. And as Americans, we like to put things in movie terms. This is a cool moment. So, so far in the book of John, we've had Jesus pointed out from a distance twice. Behold, look. The Lamb of God. Lamb of God. So in a, in a movie, what you would have done is twice now, you'd have seen Jesus from the distance, from the eyes of these disciples, from the eyes of John the Baptist over there somewhere. It's kind of an indistinct Jewish-looking man. And so now two of them go like, all right, well, let's, let's see what we can find out. And they start following him. And so you get the back of Jesus' head for the next few minutes as they're kind of gaining on him and, and they hide and look in the mirrors or they do whatever they got to do like, as they're following him. And they followed him up till now. Now, a couple of things are significant. We're going to get a great moment here, but I also want to point something. I'm going to comment on this at two things kind of simultaneously. Um, You got that video? Okay, so don't play it yet, but have it ready. Um, So a few years ago, um, uh, you know, for all you Star Wars fans out there like I am, um, pretty much all of us hated episodes one, two, and three. Um, Rightfully so. They're terrible. And so we hated them. And so a few years later, a guy named J.J. Abrams says, I'm, gonna, I'm going to I'm gonna be the director of the next Star Wars movie to come out, which was The Force Awakens. The first spoken words in The Force Awakens is a message from J.J. Abrams to the fans of Star Wars. You ready? This will begin to make things right. Okay. This will begin to make things right. I think I'm absolutely convinced that's Abrams' message to Star Wars fans. The first spoken line in a movie is often significant. Obviously, if you're a writer, you're really thinking about this first line. First lines and last lines, if you're a writer, are huge. How do you get people's attention, and then how do you close it off? This was Abrams. So in this scene, you get Jesus. They follow Jesus. You get a very iconic moment. Whether this, an Obi-Wan Kenobi head reveals Sir Alec Guinness or, a, or an Indiana Jones through the smoke of the fired pistol as he turns and faces you or whatever movie connects you with this, at this point, Jesus turns, he has his, his movie moment as he turns and c- catches these two men following him. And listen to this, the first words of Jesus in the book of John, what are you seeking? That's his question. There's no way the book of John, the no way the writer of the book of John did not intentionally make those Jesus's first words. These are the Jesus. He could have picked other words that Jesus has done other things before now, but he, I think, chose intentionally that in his gospel, these were going to be Jesus's first words because they're not just to the two disciples, but to all of us. What are you seeking? What is it that you think you're looking for? What is it you think you're going to find if you keep following me? What are you seeking? This would be a great thing for you to have posted up somewhere, to be thinking about. Maybe on the front of our Bibles, it should all, they should all say, What are you seeking? What are you looking for when you go here? So they ask a question back. They turn to him and say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now that's what they say. They say it in Hebrew or Aramaic. John, I'm um, wanting to capture that, Does not translate the word rabbi. I'm gonna try to, I spent way too long with this in the first service trying to explain it. So I'm gonna try, and if you don't follow, um, we'll look it up later or whatever. But so literally, if you're reading it in the Greek, and you're reading along in the Greek, Greek word, Greek word, Greek word, Greek word, you come to five Greek letters that is not a Greek word. It's just five Greek letters. It's like if you were reading in English. Reading, 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 reading. And when you see the word, uh, somebody puts the Spanish word amigo in there. So that's, that's translated. This is not translated. This is, this is the five letters in the Greek that look like the Hebrew word rabbi. Not the Greek word. It's not translated as transliterated, which is why John then wants to explain to his Greek audience what that word means. But for some reason, a few times, John wants to capture the Hebrew word. In this case, it's rabbi. Rabbi is not a Greek word. It's only a a Hebrew word, rabbi. So just like in English, it says rabbi. Rabbi is not an English word. Rabbi is a Hebrew word. Those are just the five English words letters that look like the Hebrew word rabbi that's why then it says which means teacher didaskalos which is the Greek word he's telling his Greek audience see the the Bible is written in Greek even though they spoke in Aramaic and Hebrew mostly and a little Syriac they they spoke in these languages most of the people of the Bible would have been most of the characters in the Bible would have spoken at least spoken two or three languages they had the Romans, so probably many of them would have spoken Latin. They would, they spoke, everyone spoke Greek, and then many of them would have spoken Aramaic and Hebrew, which are very similar languages. So, so you have this, this, this going on here, rabbi. So he, he wants to capture the word rabbi. Don't know, don't know exactly why. It may be because people weren't typically called rabbi yet. Right now, when people wanted teaching, they went to the temple. At this time in history, they went to the temple where the priests were and the teachers were. But Jesus was doing this teaching outside of the temple. Now, after A.D. 70, what happens in A.D. 70? The temple's destroyed. Forty years after this happens, the temple's destroyed. And that begins the rabbinical system, which is now all teaching are done outside of the temple because it's gone by these teachers. And so people began to be known as Rabbi something, Rabbi Eleazar or Rabbi Tanakh. Like they, they, get these, they get names now that it says Rabbi something, like Professor somebody or other or, or Master so-and-so. That's how that gets done. Well, at this time, that wasn't done yet. But it was in Jesus' case. These guys recognized him as a rabbi already. They already recognized him as this, And this is where they start. He turns to them, what are you seeking? By saying rabbi, they tell him what they're seeking. We're looking for the truth. We're students and we want to learn. Rabbi, where are you staying? We're following you to your place. That oh, will be wrap up. So he says, come and see. Come and you will see. How about that for a great second line? He doesn't promise them what they want. He just tells them, well, keep following and you'll see. So he, they stayed with him that day. It was about the 10th hour. Here you have this great little simple conversation. This, by the way, is about 4 p.m. if it's Jewish time, 10 a.m. if Roman time, probably Jewish time. So the tenth hour is about 4 p.m. if it's a Jewish time. And by the way, just like it said the word abide up above, the Holy Spirit will would abide on him, that theme. Right here it says they stayed with him. The word there again is abide. So they really stayed. It was this was a series, it wasn't just like a passing thing. They are engaged, they're invested. It's like they're moving in. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew. Simon Peter's brother he first found his own brother Simon and said to him we have found the Messiah again in the transliterated rather than translated which means Christ he brought him to Jesus and Jesus looked at him and said you're you're Simon the son of John or Jonas you'll be called Cephas which means Peter which means rock by the way Petros." Andrew couldn't wait to tell his own brother this is a big deal is is that us when we heard when we found the truth did we go try to tell people especially those in our relatives those are going to be the hardest people sometimes to tell don't give up um, ginger's grandmother resisted and resisted and resisted and resisted the gospel for 60 70 years 50 60 years until we have a photo of this till what tri- what started changing things for her was when her about 7 year old great grandson asked if he could read her john 3 was it John 3 he read to her? And Mark wanted to read John 3 out loud to her. Let me just tell you, if you're a great-grandmother, when your great-grandson who's seven wants to read something to you, you sit and listen, right? It doesn't matter what they're reading. All of a sudden, it's gold. We actually have a photo of it. Ellie has, Ellie's sitting right there, too. She's like three or four or five maybe at the time. And I think she has her Bible upside down in the picture. It's a great photo of her listening to them read John 3 out loud to her. Um, and that was the first step that led to her conversion not long before her death. So don't give up. In this case, he's all excited. He runs to him. Um, and, and this is a great, I love this scene because of the, the way, the weird way this plays out. Is that, So this would have been a surreal moment for Peter. So Andrew comes and gets Peter. He comes running back to, to him. He goes, you got you to gotta meet this guy. I found the Messiah, which we'll talk about that in a second. I found the Messiah. And, and he brings him to him and he introduces him. him he's like, um, Jesus, we just spent the whole day with you yesterday. This is my brother Peter. And Jesus goes, oh, so you're Peter. Now, is that because John had said about him all day? <laughs> John would been telling Peter stories all day? Possibly. But, but here you have this, or is it just Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit knowing this is a momentous moment in his human history when Jesus Christ meets Peter? Like, this is a key moment in human history. One of the top, maybe 10 or 20 most important moments ever is Jesus Christ meeting, who's going to be the apostle Peter. And Jesus knows this. He, te- he then speaks a prophecy over Peter. He goes, oh, so you're Peter, the son of Jonas. You know, we're going to call you rock someday. How do you respond to that if you're Peter? Like, okay, like I just, I just met you. I mean, this is, a, this is a great moment. That's an awkward moment. And then my guess is Jesus doesn't mention this whole rock thing again. Right here, he says, it. oh, yeah, you're going to be called the rock someday. We're going to, that's going to be your nickname. It's, it's months or years before they meet at Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asks, who do people say that I am and who do you say that I am? And when Peter says, you're Christ, the son of the living God, which, by the way, mirrors this passage, Jesus goes, you're right. And on that rock, I will build my church. That is a, it's a beautiful moment, that, but it's very surreal. It's meant to be funny. I think when we read it, we're supposed to chuckle when we read this. Like, wow, wow, that would have been an awkward commentary, conversation. Okay, so here we have, we'll close on this thought, though. I'm going to jump ahead. Verse 41, he found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. I thought this was funny. This reminded me so much of, so in my house, we have a little bit of a weird role reversal in that I'm the person who finds things. And that's kind of one of my jobs. Um, I grew up finding things for my mom, and so I grew up finding things. And so I, I still do. So when no one can find Michael's shoes, I am sent to go find Michael's shoes. Or when no one can find Emma's jacket, I get sent to go find Emma's jacket. So you know exactly what happens. So I go, and I, I, I find Michael's shoes, and I'm like, Michael, here are your shoes. He goes running back to Ginger and says... I found my shoes. And I'm like, you little liar. You did no such thing. I found your shoes. I deserve the... That's how this feels to me. We found the Messiah. You did not. John the Baptist pointed to him. John the Baptist found him, and you're the beneficiary of that, right? You should be going... He should be running to Peter going like, John the Baptist found the Messiah. Oh, no. We found the Messiah, right? He's all proud of this. Now, here's, though, a biblical truth to connect with. At some level... No matter who points you to Jesus, you have to find the Messiah. I don't know if this is meant to be here, but it stands out to me that no matter who around you gets him, no matter who around you points to him, no matter who else around you has found him, you have to quote, find him. Now, as we sang, the action verb of salvation is not with us, he saves us. Sin is broken. You have saved us. He saves. We don't save. But we can be the beneficiaries of that. It's the same sort of thing. Hey, I came to Jesus. I mean, He came to you. But okay, we'll go with that. You found the Messiah. If you've not found the Messiah, it's time. So I want to pray that if if you've never met this Jesus, if you don't know this Jesus, do you know Him it's, it's time to recognize the fact that he's, he's caught you in this and he's, he's the Messiah. So let me, let me pray over us that however we need to respond to the truth that this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, this is the Messiah. We found him. So it's time to accept that free gift of his salvation. Father, we're so grateful for your son, the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one the Savior, in whom the Spirit abides, in whom the Spirit lived as He was on earth in a way that was new for humans, so that everything He did was Your Word and Your voice and His insights were from You, even though He was living life as a man. Father, I I pray that You would help us today to, we mean this with all gentleness and humility, help us to find Your Son, the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God. I pray your spirit will speak to our spirit today to let us know what needs to change about our lives. The fact that your son is the Savior. If that means to put faith in him for the first time, I pray that people will do that today. If, if that means to recognize that and be, to, to repent of the way we're living our life, that that would do it. Lord, whatever it is, you know what it is. And we ask that your spirit would speak to us. That same spirit that, abide, uh, that, that lived with Jesus abides with us. Thank you, Father. Your son's name, amen.